Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Essentials with me, Maddie Flint. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate everybody's listen. And today I'm going to be talking about the nomination of Katanji Brown Jackson as a Supreme Court Justice of the United States of America. Now this can go one of two ways. You're either upset or you're happy. And I'm going to go into the reasoning, at least for why I'm upset about it. It has nothing to do with race because that's an exterior thing that shouldn't matter at all when it comes to selecting somebody for a position of this level. As a matter of fact, of any position, judging somebody on their race or their hair texture or style or whatever the heck else liberals are saying that people are judging you off of when you apply for a job and possibly don't get the job. It has nothing to do with race, it has everything to do with ability, everything to do with credentials, everything to do with how you satisfy requirements that they're looking for for you to fulfill that job. So I'm going to get started with a little bit of Jackson's background on her path to becoming a Supreme Court Justice. So from a Newsmax article, I'm getting this, it says that during the four days of Senate hearings last month, Jackson spoke of her parents' struggles through racial segregation and said her path was clearer than theirs as a black American after the enactment of the civil rights laws. So we are past the Jim Crow segregation era, regardless of what college campus communities are telling you or what you're hearing from the progressive leftists on social media and wherever else you're getting your news. They're pushing this narrative that black people are still stuck in a box which is obviously untrue because Jackson attended Harvard University, served as a public defender, worked at a private law firm, and was appointed as a member of the U.S. Sentencing Commission. That is not striking me as somebody who is oppressed by racial discrimination, speaking as she got into one of the most prestigious colleges in the country. Anyway... The Senate confirmed Katanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court Thursday, securing her as the first black female justice that our country has ever had. She's 51 years old. She was an appeals court judge with nine years experience on the federal branch, and she was confirmed 53 to 47, mostly along party lines, so not surprising, but with three Republican votes. Three Republican votes. It should have been none. It should have been none. I don't care what anybody says. Those Republicans are not Republicans if they're voting for her to be approved. Of course, presiding was Vice President Kamala Harris. Right, yeah, of course, we all love you so much. You've done so much for all of us. Ugh. Okay, um... <laughs> You know what's really upsetting, actually, is that the left completely disregards Clarence Thomas. You'd think if all Black Lives mattered to them that they would be giving him more publicity and interviewing him and stuff all the time, but they don't. And that's because he's a Black conservative. Keyword conservative. How could you? How could you go for the party who initiated the KKK? Oh my goodness, you're so racist. How could you belong in a party with them? You're brainwashed, you're an Oreo, all this stuff. All these really derogatory political slurs and everything that would be considered sensitive if you were to use them on a liberal. But black conservatives are really under fire. And that goes to show you that when the left is talking about Black Lives Matter, they are not talking about all black lives. They're talking about certain black lives, ones that align with the framing that their party is doing of certain focusing events that will cause them to gain more followers, thus winning more elections and keeping them in power with all their Marxist ideologies just coursing through the country, spreading into your children's minds. 
And that's very concerning. And now that Katanji Brown Jackson is on the Supreme Court, she's going to be there until she dies or resigns. But I don't think she's going to resign. And she is not impartial at all, nor does she want to stick to the originality of the Constitution because as a progressive radical leftist, she is going to have a different interpretation of the Constitution as, say, Amy Coney Barrett or Clarence Thomas. They are going to tend to view the Constitution as a historical document, one that remains unchanged throughout time. And as a progressive leftist, Jackson is going to view it as a living document, meaning that it's flexible with all of the social norms that change over time. So something today that's been normalized that may have been considered morally wrong or ethically wrong in the past can now be justified using the Constitution but twisted into a way that fits a progressively leftist narrative. Then they will back up their reasoning with that for saying that the Constitution is a living, breathing document and that it can be adjusted to match today's social norms. And we know that's not good. Look at what our society has become. I think we need another enlightenment period, to be honest. So, just going back to this whole confirmation of Katanji Jackson, I've been thinking of it in terms of her being a representative or her displaying representativeness. This is just my own thought process here. Is she representing the country as a judicial leader? Is she impartial? Is she true to constitutional law? Or is her nomination a performative action of representativeness? And what I mean by that is, is she quote unquote representing diversity instead of the law? A Supreme Court justice is supposed to make decisions based on constitutional law and be honest and even handed. I don't think personally your skin color matters when it comes to how well you can interpret that law for us. And there are a lot of liberals out there who think that conservatives don't want her in that position just because she's black and maybe because she's a female, knowing them and their intersectionality obsession, being a black female is double discrimination, therefore she'd be looked down upon by white conservative males, most likely. And we know that that's not true, because um, what conservatives are really thinking is that she would be unqualified because she's definitely not nonpartisan. She's in agreement with the progressive left's mainstream agenda. Even Mitt Romney, senator of Utah, said it himself. That she was outside the mainstream, uh, and as a result of our meeting for an hour together and reviewing her uh, testimony before Congress, I became convinced that she's within the mainstream. She's also highly qualified, intelligent, capable person, and I uh, wish her the very best. Whose side is he on anymore? Or I shouldn't even say anymore because he was always more middle of the road and leaning towards... Actually, I wouldn't say it's middle of the road anymore. He's definitely a Democrat. So there are radical leftists in the branches of government, all three, who want to plant seeds of their ideology now so that they'll take root and they'll grow in the future. They're playing a really big game, and this is a whole power struggle. It shouldn't be, because America is supposed to be a democracy with the ultimate power in the hands of the people. Our leaders should be spokesmen and peacekeepers for us, not individuals with unchecked power. When countries have corrupt aristocracies and communist regimes, the people will usually be desperate enough for freedoms to revolt. We know that the American patriots were just infuriated 
with the taxation without representation that was imposed by them by England at the time, or the French Revolution. So Louis XIII, the sun god, and all his aristocrats were just soaking up all the wealth of Paris. They had artworks and interiors that were built with so much splendor and painted to glorify them. And all of these magnificent gardens and everything built, and where were they getting the money for it? Because they certainly weren't paying for it. The middle class and the lower class. All of their hard-earned money is going to these big guys who were corrupt and running everything. This is why we've got to pay close attention to our taxes. Big, corrupt, greedy governments want your money because they don't have their own. So they're going to drain the working class of all their hard-earned money. And I'll get deeper into global inflation problems in another podcast maybe because there's a lot to analyze. So yeah, all of that stuff that was happening under the sun god's reign was just the beginning and everything else led up to the French Revolution because things just kept getting worse and worse as they did in America. And just to get back to this whole Supreme Court nomination thing, because I'm really digressing, there's just so much that I'm thinking about. I must not have done enough art today because it's just all pouring out onto here. <laughs> um, so back to the original criteria for choosing our Supreme Court justice nominees. I'm going to give you guys a couple of examples of what Washington was looking for in his justice nominees. I mean, Washington himself had several criteria for picking a Supreme Court justice, and I have seven as an example. So the first one, support and advocacy of the U.S. Constitution. That's big, right? You're going to be working as a Supreme Court justice of the land that you live in and supposedly love. Number two, distinguished service in the American Revolution. Of course, that doesn't apply to today. Three, active participation in the political life of a particular state or the nation as a whole. And four, prior judicial experience on lower tribunals. Five, either a favorable reputation with his fellows or personally known to Washington himself. And people might say that that doesn't exist anymore as a requirement, but you know, as whatever president is sitting in office, they're going to put in somebody who is aligned with their political ideologies. Uh, what did I say? Five, six, geographic suitability. The original Supreme Court were circuit riders. And then seven, a love of the country. That seems pretty simple. You want to run for a, a leadership position in one of our three branches of government. You should love the country that you live in. But that's actually a rare treat to find in a lot of our representatives, which is really sad. And we know that Katanji Jackson does not satisfy the first or the last of those examples, which are very important criteria that I think you should meet for this position. And I wonder if the left will continue to push victimization on our young black women after this. I'm sure they will, right, Kamala? <laughs> God give me the strength I need to survive until Tuesday, November 5th, 2024, when hopefully some things will change if we're not a part of China or Russia, because right now we're almost a satellite state as it is. China Joe has gotten us this way and he's not sorry about it. So on that note, I'm going to conclude today's episode of The Essentials. And I really appreciate everybody sticking through to the end. And I hope that you'll listen again next week for the next episode of The Essentials. And be sure to check out the other shows on the BMG Network, Set Apart with KC, the Pac-Man Podcast, my dad, the Ken Burns Show, the Adrian Ross Show, and the Ken and Mike Show. Our fellow broadcasters will offer you a ton of great content. So I hope you guys have a great weekend. Thanks for the listen.